This is CliffCentral.com. Yeah, baby. Yeah. Yet again, another one of those absolutely fantastic days. My goodness. It's always a fantastic time, though, when I'm around. You know what I mean? In my life, it's always good news season. Always good news season. We're always doing something. I'm always up to something, either with friends or on my own. But man, oh man, you just gotta have that upbeat feeling about yourself. And actually, the good, the, the really good news is that that type of stuff does not have to come from outside. Okay. We actually make those good things happen in us. You know, there's uh, an example I have uh, of motivation. You know what? Uh, let's say, for instance, I'm doing a kickstart, right? Uh, as people, sometimes as motivation, we have to push you in order for you to, you know, to start gaining momentum and going where you want to go. But here's the differentiator. You see, even when it comes to kickstarting your car or your engine, we can only push you a couple of times, but then you need to kick in and you need to go, and you need to start going. You know what I mean? The internal engine has got to work at some point. And the real reason why you can go from where you are to where you want to be has to be an internal force, an internal drive. That's your engine. You know, as motivators or anybody who's got that positive influence in your life, they can only kickstart you for a couple of meters, okay? But then you need to start kicking in and believing in yourself with that internal motivation, that internal engine. And that's how you get to go to the next level. And that's just my two cents for the day, you know what I mean? And that's actually how we get going. And from time to time, you might have to tap back into your kickstart. You know, I had to, for instance, when I was feeling like, man, the energy's not quite there, I had to go back to the basics. What gets me going? And I had to look at some YouTube videos because I know that, you know, and I, when I get to listen to people like, uh, Eric Thomas, when I get to l- listen to people like Les Brown, people like, um, uh, Brian Tracy, uh, Will Smith. I realize Will Smith actually motivates me. Wow. He actually is such an inspirational person. And I said, you know what? Let me feed myself this type of stuff. And uh, instead of playing music in the house, I play motivational stuff while I'm doing whatever I'm doing. Secretly, whether I'm thinking about it or not, that good energy is actually getting into my mind and I can wake up the next day feeling like I'm on top of the world. You got to have the salt. That's what I said last year and I still mean it. My When I was three years old, my mom said, you are the salt of the earth. Now guys, I'm telling you, come out here, have some salt about you. You know, salt has that flavor. You need to have the flavor in the life, man. Come on. All right. That's about it. I'm done speaking. Welcome to it. It's Unplugged and In Charge. It is on cliffcentral.com. We have this, what I call the shortest hour of the week. And we always have these great conversations with people who build us up in one way or the other. When we listen to their stories, we get to, you know, take out some of the gems that have made them the amazing people they are. These are then things that we can use in our lives to also get ahead and be where we want to be as well. So we always talk to people who are doing amazing things. And this time around, I've got a lady right here with me. Man, she's a powerhouse. I mean, she's done it all. She's entered beauty pageants. I looked at her and I was like, hey, we got a supermodel today. You know what I mean? She's done that, but not only that. Then she decided, you know what? I'm not just a pretty face, but I'm a pretty mean businesswoman as well. And she's dominated in that space. I think she's got about five different companies. And I'm hoping that it's even more by now. Who knows? But she's really doing well. I met her outside in the parking lot. 
lot and she was already doing business. I mean, this lady is on the ball. And amongst all of this, she's also a mother and a wife and she's, you know, she's juggling the whole nine yards, man. It's great to see that you don't only have to be one dimensional. You can literally have it all. You can have the, the, the looks. The motherly touch, then that businesswoman corporate vibe about you. You can literally do it all, all in one. And she's now here with us. Her name is Candice Robertson. How do you do, Candice? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure to have you and um, and to just get to learn from you as well. I'm hoping that's what we're gonna get to un- uh, get to unearth from you. A lot of your your amazing diamonds. And of course diamonds took a long time to form. So you're gonna tell us how they started as coal and how it all became diamond. Are you excited? I'm very excited and thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Candace. Thank you for making the time to come out as well and just to share. So let let's let's get down to it. Let's let's start the journey of Candace. Hmm. Where did it all start, Candice? Business-wise or? You can start wherever you want to start. Okay. So I'm a, an entrepreneur by, mm-hmm. by heart. I mean, like I Great. had my first spaza shop when I was five years old. Oh, wow. Um, outside my dad's house. And that's how I used to make pocket money. So it was, it's, it's been in me for all my life. Yeah. And then in, uh, 2010, my brother and I decided to open a health company and we were doing diets for people and making them skinny. And then we started, somebody said to me, well, you're a chef and you've done nutrition. Why don't you just cook for us? So I was doing breakfast, lunch and supper and snacks according to your calories mm. and making people look super hot. Oh, wow. Uh, Fantastic. Now that, that might, that before we even rush past that point, we have to just zoom into that moment where you saying, you said you had your little spaza shop right there at home. And I believe, I always say to people, start with a backyard garden, you know, before you, you want to be independent of the grocery stores, start with a little backyard garden, learn about the process, grow slowly. And you telling me that you started with a, a spaza shop. What did you sell in your spaza shop and how old were you at this stage? So I was five years old. Uh-huh. I had a, a, a box that my grandfather gave me and yeah. each compartment had uh, little sweets in those nutty puffs. Uh-huh. And if you, I don't know if they're still on the market. Nutty puffs. Nutty puffs. Those little chocolate eclairs. They had yeah. peanuts. They had different sweets and, and chips and lollipops and bubblegum. Mm. And I mean, like, I'm not going to give you my, well, I'll give you my age, but I mean, like 36 years ago, yeah. it was non-existent. Wow. Yeah. So that's where you started. And that's where you, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that that's where you were learning a lot of the entrepreneurial, um, skills as well. I mean, I remember, I think I started out, uh, selling, <laughs> this is a little embarrassing to say, but I started out selling cigarettes and oranges at the next to the next to the uh, soccer stadiums while it was actually like a soccer ground. Don't think of it as a stadium. Think of it as a ground. And when they say a groundini, they actually meant it's literally a um a patch of um you know township soccer um soccer fields don't have the grass. The grass is Outside the field, the fans sit in the grass and you guys play on literally the dusty 
turf, you know, and that's where I was selling my cigarettes from for 50 cents. Well, cigarettes were 50 cents. Yes. Now you can imagine how long that was. <laughs> and, uh, and I was, I mean, I was not of the legal age to even have cigarettes, consume them or anything. Here I was selling them, you know, and, uh, and I can kind of relate with your Spaza shop story. And, and sometimes people overlook just how much we can learn, even though we are young kids at that time about entrepreneurship. Are there any lessons that you learned at that tender age about entrepreneurship? You know, I, I also worked in my dad's shop. My dad had a, had a butchery. So we grew up in that shop since, since we were born. So on holidays, we were there. I used to play on the calculator. And I used to learn how to pick up calls and speak yeah. to customers. And it's amazing whatever I learned in that period or time period, I've now pulled through to my children who's, who's five and six. So every afternoon they come to my bakery mm. and then they come and make rolls and they all they want to do is do work. What can they help the guys with yeah. to do work? So it definitely plants a, a seed. Mm. Definitely. Wow. Amazing. And it's great that you're saying that your father was also into um, business as well. I mean, he had a butchery. Sometimes I find that people who had entrepreneurial parents find it easier to get an, into entrepreneurship, whereas if you never had anyone to set that, that type of uh, um, example for you, you might be a little more anxious about it because you're still worried about all these unknowns, like, well, People come. What if I don't get customers? You know, did you find that it was easier for you to get in or was it still just as hard as anybody else? I think it's just as hard as anyone else because it's not a game that my dad knew. I mean, like uh -huh. he would just, um, and he gave me all the support. He would take me every Monday to go and buy sweets, but he would say to me, don't buy those because you're not going to make as much money. So definitely, you know, your, your, MBA as mm. a small kid in entrepreneurship definitely will come from, from your father or mother if they have their own business. Mm, mm, def. All right. So then we moved on to a time where you got a little bit older, no longer five years old, teenagers, you spent them in the butchery learning some more stuff. And then, all right, high school's finished. What's next? Well, I finished uh, my last Afrikaans exam on, on I think it was 26 November. Wow, you even remember the date. Yes, and I didn't have my results, and I jumped on a plane. I went to the UK, and I worked, saved some money, and then I ended up in the south of France. And I was employed as a chef. I couldn't cook in those days. <laughs> yeah. So my mom used to write me recipes in letter format in Afrikaans and fax me them on those old roller faxes yeah. so that nobody could understand. And I started cooking on the boat. And I had people like Andrew Lloyd Webber and quite a lot of few famous wow. people on the boat. That That's pretty big. That's that's mm -hmm. not a joke. Jeez. Okay. Andrew Lloyd Webber. I mean, you, you, you were already... You were already go getting into this thing. You at this time, you don't have your results yet. You don't even know how life's gonna look like when you get back home. But you just decided, okay, this is what I want to do. Was it your decision? Was it a family decision? How did you end up in that in that route? Well, I I traveled, and you know, there's a lot of people that travel um, in in the UK. And I said to people, well, what's the next stop? Where do you go after the UK? Mm. You either go on a Kentucky or you end up in the south of France or you go skiing. So somebody said to me, go and try and work on a yacht. See if you can work, can get work as a deckhand or one of those. And they just said to me, go to Nice. 
And from there, I just walked the docks until somebody decided to employ me. Wow. This is, this is different from the everyday tried and tested route. You know, everyone wants to go for the safe stuff, go for the, you know, the predictable, you know, I'm just going to go to college or go to varsity, get this qualification. Then from here, go and get a stable job. And if I can't get to school yet, I'm going to, you know, but, but normally everyone goes for these tried and tested safe routes and you instead decided, you know what? We're going to get on a boat. We're going to, we're not going to set up the sails. We'll see where the wind takes us. And you just went that, that, daredevil approach means that somewhere inside you you thought that it's all going to work out everything is part of the master plan and somehow it will work out i just have to have faith that this is the route shucks i i just i just want to understand how do we muster up that courage because a lot of people are so scared of the unknown they rather want everything to be so predictable and yet here you were you're very young and you just had this belief that everything was going to work out. How, where, where do you get it? Because we want it too. You know what? I think it's maybe a little bit of stupidity. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because if I think about it now and I have to send one of my kids overseas, not uh-huh. knowing where they are for three weeks. Yeah. I mean, life has changed. True. So I think it was just, um, yeah, like I said, a bit of ignorance. So if, if you're, you said you have one child that's five, six years old at the moment. So if, if that child, let's say is now 17, what's the child's name, by the way? Max. Max. When Max turns 19 and Max just finished with varsity, I mean with high school and you're like, Max, you're going to be an engineer, right? And he says, no, mom, um, I actually just want to go to like LA. And just like see how Hollywood looks like. Um, oh, you want to study there? Do you want to go to the New York Film Academy? I can. No, 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 mom. I, I don't want to be committed to anything. I just want you to give me a plane ticket to get there. I'll, I'll figure it out. Like just give me a moment to just figure it out. I just want to meet people, see what it looks like and figure it out. Like, all right, do you want us to come with you? We could. No, mom. No, no. I just want to go. I'm just going to figure it out. What would you be saying to Max? You know what? I would back him 100%. Wow. I think it was a phenomenal experience for me. If I could have it over, I would have first finished my studies. Yeah. And then, then gone because it gives you so much more of an opportunity to do when you different have something types. to yes, offer. Mm. Yes, 100%. Because mm. what can you do at the age of 18? You can bar lady. You can uh, uh, work in a restaurant. You can work mm. in a clothing store you can do that type of thing you know interesting you mentioned that um i remember when i was in grade nine and i got so frustrated when they announced that now in grade 10 we're gonna have to pick what we want to study and i felt like it was too early to limit me like why are you limiting me to three to three options you know they're saying no pick a um Three modules. So there's, I mean, science type of modules and business type of modules and accountancy and those type of things or IT and man, shucks. Because before that, you know, you had your art and culture, you had history, you had, um, a little bit of, 
you know, in art and culture, there's a little bit of acting, little bit of poetry, little bit of music. And in, in history class, there's a, you know, there's all of these things that, you know, historic things. And, um, there's also politics that you're learning there and all these economics and, and all of that. And then there's an, an accountancy class. And then there was a physics class and a science class and a biology. And we, we had so many options before I even had robotics. I, we were even making robots and programming them and everything. And we had Reknortuk. Which was literally, <laughs> you know, oh, you, you just, so well. you're on your cake. That was Afrikaans school, Javier's. Um, anyway, so there's, you know, and we, uh, and those kids were typing. Uh, if you didn't want to type, you would build robots. I decided to build robots instead. But what I'm saying is that in grade eight and nine, we had all these options. And I felt like it's great to know a little bit about everything until you can really decide. And I felt like it was too soon to have to, Limit us to say, well, pick your life decision now. And you're like, I'm only 14. I was 14. And I'm thinking, how can I possibly make a lifelong decision at this age? Why don't you, why can't I just have everything? It's okay. I would, I don't mind writing 16 exams, but I'd rather have everything and learn with it and grow with it until I can make a, a more informed decision when I know more about each field. And I just felt like, you know, uh, uh, 14 was too young to, to have to, to, to channel yourself already. Because you know what happens? You have to pick three. And usually you want to pick three that are more or less in the same line. Because let's say if you want to study, uh, chemical engineering is like what I went and did. You know, they'll look at your mathematics mark and they'll, they'll look at your science mark and they might even look at your life science mark. And if you decided not to have life science and you had economics instead, and now it works against you in some way. And if you wanted to, when you're 18, do economics instead, they would say, well, you didn't really have any economics modules in high school or subjects. So how could you go in that line? Do you understand how big that decision actually is when you're about 15, 16 years old? Yeah. So that's my dilemma. Now, I think, you know, Max... When he, you, when you're saying first get an education, yes, it's, it's good. But on the other hand, what helped you is that you were not channeled yet. You were not, con, you were not compartmentalized. You were not put in a certain quadrant and they said, by the way, this is all you'll ever be. And, um, now you can go on your little vacation. But even when you're there, look for things along only this quadrant. Cause you were just free. You could do whatever you want to do. And now you got five businesses. <laughs> Isn't that just cool? <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I don't know what you have to say about my line of thinking. I mean, you could say, where's that? It's total rubbish. Throw it out. Max is not following you. <laughs> no, yeah, 100% right. Mm, mm. But I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm still so fascinated at your, that courage that you had in the beginning because I hear a lot of people always say, you know what? You have to bet on yourself. You have to know that you're gonna, you, you, you have to know it's gonna work out. They say that, um, most of the successful people of our time and even of times past, when they look at the Elon Musks and all these really, really successful people, the common thread in all of them is that they somehow had a fundamental belief that 
they were going to be successful. They didn't know how it was going to happen, but they knew it was going to happen. They knew that those great things are meant for them and that everything that's happening around, uh, in their lives, whether good or bad, is all just part of the journey towards that bigger picture. Did you always have that type of belief about yourself as well? Yes, always. Mm. Always. Wow. How? Where do you think it comes from? Because if you can tell us where it comes from, we can go there and we can also go get it. <laughs> You know, I think it's a it's an attitude thing, definitely. Because yeah. if you tell me it's not possible or you can't do it, I'm gonna find a way to make it work and mm. that it can work. I always say, you spell my name C A N D, not C A N T. Oh! <laughs> now that's fire right there, guys! My goodness, and it's right. I mean. Wow, that that's that's pretty cool. You went and found in your name that hidden message. It's can this. You know what I mean? <laughs> can you can even put can do this. Candice. I'm gonna use that. Excellent, Candice. We need to give Max a new name now. I mean, it's just it's just fitting. He needs to find a hidden meaning in his name. Or everything he does, he does to the maximum. <laughs> his name is spelt M A double X. So he definitely does it mm, to the maximum. Mm, 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 mm. Not just one. Double. Excellent stuff, man. Alright. And then now if we fast forward to today's life. It's it's busy, it's you know, it's up and down. So many things are happening. You you managed to to build not only one, but I mean so many companies, you know. Tell us, okay, the first one. Let's let's go through how the first one started, and all the the internal conversations that were happening, and how it all just came to life. Okay, so the first one is Calorie Conscious. Mm-hmm. So it's one of the largest health bakeries in the country. In terms of variation, we do banting, gluten free. Um, low carb and uh, wheat free products yeah. and we supply retail stores all around the country mm. so that started with my brother um, ten, well, 8 years ago and it started as a meal company where we did the breakfast lunch and suppers yeah. delivered to clients mm-hmm. but you don't like garlic I don't eat onions and you know it becomes difficult if you've got 350 clients Sure. and then also with your, with your um, eating times in January you have a huge amount of clients mm. Then they all go on holiday And then April you've got no clients Then they Jeez. all come back They've picked up weight Then you pick up clients So it was like a wow. Up down business mm. And then we decided Well we're going to go The healthier route And go gluten free And my brother said You know what Let's rather look at the retail stalls And start mass producing And then wow. we started baking bread And we knew nothing about baking bread So our first lot of breads Went out to a retailer and after two days, it went green. Oh. Because we didn't realize that, you know, if it's not kept right, it can go green. You know, eight years later, we've come a long way. Wow. Absolutely amazing. Just how do you get in, uh, how do you go from an idea sitting? You guys are probably like sitting, having lunch, and it's like, you know what would be really cool? Is if someone made like nice food and then started like, you know, you could just get your healthy food delivered to you. It starts off as a, you know, a random like idea like that. You know, it's, it's one of those, you know what they should do. And you went and t- took the day to a, you know what we should do. Do you get me? Like a lot of the time we, we talk about 
other people making something happen. We, we would say, you know what they should do? They should make something like this. They, they, they. And you went and said, no, not they, we. And then it went from just that to actually coming to life. You guys actually made a, a company come to life. These things are not necessarily easy. You, you just chatted through it like, oh, well, we just started off like this. We just got 350 clients. Like you can just wake up and have 350 clients. You know, even that was a journey. Let's talk about building a, the first, um, version of the company, building that and then having three, Having to acquire 350 clients. What, what do you rely on the most? Is it word of mouth? Just, just chat us through because man, it's amazing. And you, sometimes you don't even appreciate how big your success is because you know, you use, you gotten so used to what's happening right now. And you think you're thinking of where you still want to take it, but a lot of people are looking at you and they're like, you are light years away, woman. How do I even get 10% of your success? Yeah. You're right. We, um, you know, we, we, it, like I said, it started as an idea mm-hmm. and it was a client because I was busy measuring the client. So yeah. we would write, I still do that. That's another business. Mm-hmm. So I would measure you, do your body stats and I would write you a diet. And tell you how to live a healthy lifestyle and so forth and take you through the process of mm. a, to changing your lifestyle. And while I was measuring my client, she said, why don't you start doing this for us? Why don't you cook? Cook mm. us some meals. And if I think back, it was so unhygienic because we used to do it in little Tupperware containers. Yeah. You would eat, you would bring your stuff back to us. We just we wash it and put some more stuff in. With boiling water and uh-huh. soap and, and sanitize it. Yeah. And then you go with your next lot. Mm. And, you know, as we progressed, things came more fancy. We had special packaging with sealing machines, but that, that was later on. Mm. And um, you asked about marketing. It was all word of mouth. Wow. We never, ever, ever did any marketing. Wow. And, and. With word of mouth, and so you grow. You you learn. You 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 do a good job. Another person speaks about you. You do a very good job again. Someone says, "Hey, I need to refer you. These people are amazing." And they're like, "Hey, what did I cost great? No, it's these guys. They make these delicious meals. I don't even have to think about it. They just get them here. Really cool. That that and and that's that's how you grew to three hundred and fifty. That's it. Yes. Mm. So. While everyone thinks that, you know, they need to break the bank trying to advertise and radio stations and this and that. Sometimes when you, you know, when you're still in your infancy stage, don't spend too much money on, on, on things that might not get you the immediate return on investment. Try to, you know, focus on what you're good at and make sure that the people talk and they say only great things about you. That's a great lesson to learn from that. All right. And then we got to 350. We thought, man, we're doing so well. Let's go into bread. Now tell me about that journey. So obviously, you know, this, this is going so well. Why leave it now? You got so many people going. It could go from 300 to 3,500. You, you, you could have kitchens all over the country. Was there ever that mindset? And how did you decide? All right. No, it, 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 it makes sense. Let's, let's move into this, this direction now. Well, at that stage, we had a little deli in four ways, uh, next to our gym. 
and we just added the bakery as as an extra line to offer to the to the clients where they could come past and get healthy bread because healthy bread wasn't available in those days mm. and we just realized that more people than you know how it goes everyone jumps on the bandwagon yeah this was around eight years ago you said right yeah. because eight years ago i think as I could recall, not too long ago, there was this explosion of bread. All of a sudden, uh, there was so many different options. Like uh, your major um, companies only started making many different varieties of healthy bread in you know in the recent time. So you're right. So you guys managed to to identify a trend early on, and then you guys decided that's the way. Well, it, we'd like to say that we're trendsetters. Great. So, but at that stage, every person that we went to go and see said to us, you will never make it in this market mm. because every gluten-free product tastes like cardboard. And I must admit, it, it used to. Mm. And no one will buy from you. So slowly, slowly, we were building on the bakery. And as we were building the bakery, a lot of people then started manufacturing ready-made meals. So then people started banting and paleo and vegan and vegetarian. So you lose a lot of the pie that you originally had. Mm. And then we said, right, we've got enough business on the bakery. Let's just focus on the bakery. Wow. Okay. Then while you're doing this bakery thing and um, you're still in your first infancy stages of this new business now and all of a sudden, you get hit with an unexpected turn of events, like the bridges went green and all the customers are coming back. Uh, you know, your the people that you guys are supplying are calling you and saying, hey, 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 hey. something's wrong with your bread. <laughs> Tell me about how you handle that conflict situation. Well, we didn't do a recall. We obviously replaced everyone's bread. We went yeah. back we to the drawing board. We replaced it the very following week and we were back in business. Yeah. And then in terms of your your brand name and, um, you know, let's say, for instance, uh, the, the there's always that damage that happens sometimes with, like, for instance, recently, what what, what happened with the... Um, the listeriosis Dieden, yeah. yeah Dieden. And and all the poloni was just rubbish and everybody threw out the poloni and there's some big brands that, that was seriously in the firing line because of it. And obviously that does something to it and it, it hits quite hard on your on your brand. And yet you saying that you guys managed to bounce back from that very, very swiftly was it did did you guys have to do anything in the public relations space or was it just a matter of just replace the bread and everyone is happy again you know i believe it's all about client relations mm -hmm. and luckily we had good client relations with with everybody mm. and because we were promoting it ourselves my brother and i we people would just phone us and say look this is what's happened and we would replace it and then give them like an extra brownie and a biscuit and nice. you know that always yeah puts a little cherry on the cake at the end of the great, day great great so <laughs> so so the main the main thing there is when you still have a good relationship with your the the people that um, that you're providing your service to or your product to and um you make sure that when they complain you you know you address it immediately and also, you know, you, you show that, you know, your, their, your relationship with them is still very important with a little extra little rusk in a biscuit or, you know, a little coffee or a cherry on top. They end up actually being able to, you know, to move along with you 
understanding that you know you still are where you are and i respect that you guys came back and you helped us uh, uh, with that particular crisis usually in business i was in business at a young age and one of the challenges we had was over promising and under delivering it happened so easily you 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 just you didn't even see it coming and then boom i'll i'll give you one example i had this friend of mine so we were making water right well not really making the water but bottling water you remember um i mean you can look at a couple of different companies today that that sell bottled water and a lot of them have popped up uh, when you look in the supermarkets, you see quite a lot of them. So we used to be one of them once upon a time while I was still in varsity around, uh, first year, second year. And the cool thing is this, uh, it, it, initially it wasn't really all that, that hectic because, you know, we were handling small quantities and I was using my bursary money to fund this business. <laughs> and it was cool. A great place to learn. And you know, this is how we were going. And sometimes we'd brand people's bottles with, um, I mean, we'd brand the bottles with, let's say your logo and, and that type of stuff so that your company could have its own water. So initially we only had, you know, clients that would want a hundred bottles or 200 bottles. We were like, wow, they want 200 bottles. You know, it, we were handling small quantities. And then one day, so, well, first, let me just say, I was never the one that overpromised. It was always my partner, not my fault. And he, I, we would, I was always trying to help him to understand. Well, always go in there with a level head. Don't go at, don't, don't make us sound bigger than we are. You know, just say what we can do and manage expectations. Always important. But sometimes you would get carried away in excitement, especially when it's a big client. You really want the client. You so badly want a bigger client because you want to grow. So here's what happened with us. I was in class and I got this call from my partner and I'm thinking, Aish, I'm in class. I can't answer it. So I wait a few minutes until the class finishes and I call him and he says, Hey, uh, I need to talk to you. I'm right outside. Come you know, I'm right here at the entrance of the campus. I come outside and uh, we sit in the car. We had bought a little bucky with our, with the money that we had made. It was an old bucky, but hey, it got the bottled water around, you know? And he's sitting there and he's looking stressed. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, what's going on now? And I say, what's wrong? He said, uh, I just come from a meeting with the Sundowns football club. And I'm thinking, Hey, that sounds, that sounds proper. Said what? What's wrong? Or no, no. What? What? What happened at the meeting? He says they want. Uh, they, they. I mean, the meeting went well. They listened to what we have to offer, and they want eighty thousand bottles of water. I'm like, whoa, that's great. I'm thinking maybe they want that for the year. You know, I'm like, wow, that's great. And I say, when do they want it? Tomorrow. I'm like, what? <laughs> how did it? How did it get there? How did you allow the conversation to get to a place? Because you know what happens with him? He says, yes, we can definitely make bottles of water. He says, yeah, can you do it for our club? And, and at what price? And they, he would mention the price and they would be like, hmm, they're pretty reasonable. Hey, yeah, you guys are pretty cheap. That sounds great. All right, cool. Um, and, um, you know, how, how, how good is your turnaround time? And then he would say, no, we really good. We, we, we fast. Like, I mean, just say how, how, how soon you want it. We'll get it done. I mean, we could even get it done tomorrow. You know, he, he really wanted this business so bad. And then, so he first said, we can get it done. We can even get it done tomorrow. Then they asked, all right. So you think you can do 80,000? He said, yeah. Oh no. 
So now I'm thinking, where are we going to get the capital? Never mind the capital. Which supplier will help us with such a crazy turnaround time? This is impossible. And know what that makes? That makes an unsatisfied client because now your client saying, Hey, uh, we're still waiting for our bottles. Um, 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 can we do Friday? Friday is still just like two days from now. They'll say, yes, Friday is still fine. You still know even that Friday is impossible because you've never done that before. Have you guys ever had challenges like that? Over promising and under delivering or having to learn how to not overcommit, even though you see that the client's so big and you really want it, but you have to just learn how to control your excitement and control, you know, the uh, the relationship that you have with the client. You can say I'm laughing. It's happened, oh, I don't know how many times. <laughs> In the eight years, I don't know how many times. Yeah. My brother would normally kick me under the table. Oh, then good. I know I must keep well quiet. <laughs> Who d- so... <laughs> Who's the overconfident one? Who's the one that gets excited and who, so your brother's kicking you because he's saying, hey, hey, calm down. Well yes. done, brother. <laughs> What's your brother's name? Clayton. Well done, Clayton. You're doing a great job. <laughs> wow. And I think that's also really important that you and your partner have a good body language amongst each other when you are in those big meetings. You know, I normally suggest sitting next to your partner so that you can kind of like, Give them a signal without the client seeing that. Why are they kicking each other? Why are they tapping each other on the shoulder? You know, because it's important that you say, whoa, 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 let me speak now. You know, those are some of the secrets no one actually talks about. Saying, hey, guys, actually, when you get into these big meetings, you guys need to have a strategy. And you need to have signals, Morse code amongst each other. When I blink two times, I say yes. When I blink three times, I'm saying, don't answer them yet. Let's think about it. (laughs) All those type of things, because it can easily happen that you and your partner are not in the same mind. For instance, you and your brother, your brother's thinking, and you thinking, this is great. I can just see this happening. And then you overcommit on something. And now your company needs to deliver. And he's, Saying, why did you do that in the meeting? And you're saying, do what? It's like, you just said we can do 800,000. And oh my goodness. All right. So, you know, the occasional kick uh, under the table and the, you know, the, the elbow. The nudge. The, yeah, the nudge. Or the, the glasses. Now he normally, he uh-huh. normally has his Oakley's on and he pulls it back and forth. Ah. Uh-huh. And then I can see starting to stress. Then I know I must keep quiet. Oh, wow. Look at that. Mm. You see, these are the, the really cool Morse code type of things that you guys got going on that the clients don't know about. Because you can't let your clients see you sweat, right? You can't let them see you hesitate or get nervous or any of these things. You want to always maintain that cool, calm, composed look. But yet you know and your partner knows that Yana, this is actually not what we thought we were getting ourselves into. In fact, it it makes me think of uh, Bill Gates. I don't know if you know that uh, Bill Gates uh, and his partner, when they were still, you know, very young in the early twenties, and they had just um, they were still on this journey of making the personal computer, and as it started, when they were still developing Windows itself, they um, they they had. You know, they had their small little idea and they wanted to make it even bigger and they had a little prototype, but nothing really concrete, nothing really um, magnificent that would make them billionaires or anything. And 
they, with their small little thing that they had made, which was really very, very basic, they met the, the, um, the industry leaders, which at the time was, um, uh, I, I, IBM or IMB. I'm, I'm hoping I'm saying it right. I, IBM, I think. Yes. And they, um, they were asked, you know, a series of questions and they were presenting and everything. And IBM had a lot of computer type things. I can't really call them computers because of what we know as a computer today. But they had these processors that were in many different companies all over the world. Or and and, and I mean I IBM had that that massive power in terms of how the world of computing works. And here comes these young boys and they say, No, we've got these ideas and they say, All right, this sounds cool, gentlemen, but um do you guys have a an operating system? And they said, yeah, yeah, we, we, we got one. Yeah. And they also did this type of stuff where they look at each other, nudge, nudge, kick each other under the table. And Bill Gates said, yes, we have one. And the other dude was like, I don't know why you just said that because we don't. And they left that, that meeting looking at each other like, oh my goodness, we're going to have to go and make an operating system like real quick because these guys want an operating system because what had ended up happening is they just got some, Young little dude who had a little operating system type of thing going. They bought it for, from him for a few, um, mediocre dollars compared to what it is worth today. And that was the start of Windows. And, uh, I think back then there was MS DOS and whatever they were mm. calling it, but they signed the biggest deal in history with these type of nudge, nudge, kick each other on the, t- the table type of negotiations where they didn't really have it, but you know what I mean? They just went in straight ahead and it worked. It really, really worked. So that's actually quite a cool thing that, uh, and it's a nice thing that you're sharing that as well because sometimes it's cool to know that the people who've made it also do the little kick each other the table things that we do as well when we're still trying to make it. Really cool. And then obviously, um, the, the business started going well in terms of the bread. You guys started distributing nationally. Now that's a big thing. It's not, Yo, it's, it's huge. And that couldn't have been easy. The capital. Tell us about that type of thing. How do you acquire the capital to go bigger and bigger and bigger? Because I know that some of these bigger brands want you to, you know, maybe put something down so that they know that you have got some skin in the game. They know that you're really willing to do this. And should you not provide this week or this month, you know, we, you have something, uh, to lose as well. So, that type of startup capital to go even bigger, how did that come about and, and what were the challenges around that? You know, that was quite hard. I mean, like the the normal banks, you sit in front of them mm-hmm. and they pull your details up on the screen and they say no immediately. So mm. then you have to look at, at different channels. I always say, um, would you ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? That's mm. the saying I use. Meaning that you do different things to make it work. Mm. So startup capital, yes, we've done some crazy things which we won't mention. Ah, oh, we this is the perfect platform to talk about the hustle. Nobody here judges the hustle. Oh my <laughs> word. No, the hustle was real. And yeah. we hustle in hills. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> so we hustle in hills. Yeah. But um yes, I was lucky enough that my my dad helped us um with our first 
big growth um, mm. spurt. And then we managed to go to a financial institution and they could assist us with forward invoicing. Mm. So basically they, it's called factor. They factor the invoice. They buy the invoice from you and then that basically gives you capital. But you oh, still wow. have to run. Mm. You still have to run for five days or whatever just to, to get started. And that's hard. But luckily I have good staff and good suppliers and they all knew what we were busy with and they were willing to help. Now that's something interesting. You see, I always believe that sometimes we die because of a lack of knowledge. You talk about something called, um, forward invoicing. Is that what that, that's the ner- that's the term? Yes. And if we don't know about these type of things or these options, then we, we fail to grow beyond a certain threshold because the banks don't want to hear it. We don't, we, we too scared to approach these uh, venture capitalists or we don't even know where to find them. They're own sharks. You know, yeah, they feel like the sharks, you know, from Shark Tank, they're just going to take a bite of your, and then you, it feels, it, you know, sometimes it feels dangerous to give away a portion of your company. But then there are these other options that, that you found out. I don't even know how you found out that there was a, an option like that. But these are the type of things that, that help that next entrepreneur who gets to that point and then they just need that extra capital, but they wondering which are the smarter ways to go about it. So forward invoicing is one of them and that's the one you used. And then there were other ways, like for instance, getting family involved. And you said that, you know, some banks could go, could go, um, you know, partial financing, not necessarily giving you everything that you wanted, but these were just some of the ways in which you hustled along with the hu- hustling in heels that you won't die- disclose. Hopefully one day when you have nothing to lose, you'll come back and be like, Oh yeah, by the way, I thought I'll tell you about that hustling in hills episode. Maybe one day we'll get one that day out of you. We'll get it. One day I'll share. <laughs> Great. And this is just. The one, one, um, this is just, um, you know, one of the ways in which you managed to, to grow to the point where you could become a national distributor. One of the important things is, is, um, is getting a, a letter of intent important. Like for instance, let's say, um, I, I, I could, I could do this thing. Let's say Cliff Central wanted me to provide them with microphones, but I don't have the money for the microphones. Does a letter from Cliff Central saying, hey, if you can get us the microphones, we'll pay for them. And me coming to you with that letter and saying, hey, I need funding. Look, they say they're going to pay. I just need the money. But if we can get these things, I can get them, then I can pay you as well. Did you manage, did you use any methods like that to try and get by? And are they at all effective? Yeah, most definitely. We used, uh, it's called an SLA, a service level agreement. So you have to provide those because they must actually see is it a blue chip company that you're dealing with and who are you supplying? What type of quantities are you going to supply? How long Mm. is the contract valid for? Because it doesn't help that the contract's valid for a month and they're giving you all this finance and what happens after a month. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. Well, you heard it right there from the lady herself. All of the secrets to success, the secrets to the hustle, hustling in heels, pushing five different companies, being a mom to Max and, and all the others as well. A sister, of course, as well to, and, and the nice thing is that family is doing business together and they're growing together. And that's a really great thing. Now we got about a few minutes to go, like three to five minutes. And I just want you now to just have center stage. Just share with us 
you can share with us about um, you know where to find you uh, about a, a little uh, about your companies how do we you know how do we keep in touch with you and um, and some words of wisdom as well to to the up and coming hustlers the ladies rocking in heels who also want to be you know the corporate mavericks and great mothers as well well i i like to i like uh, richard branson and he always says never say no you can figure it out later mm. so that's my motto in life if you're going to ask me for a bread that doesn't have eggs and no sugar and no yeast I'm going to say yes, and I will write a recipe for it, and I will make it work. So I, that's that's how I live my life. Um, you can follow us on www.calorieconscious.co.za. Um, you can follow me on Instagram, which is Candice um, underscore Robertson. I was also one of the Tammy Taylor Mrs. South Africa finalists last year, and um, I won... Uh, SABC3 Viewer's Choice and uh, Mrs. Charity. So I'm also an ambassador for cancer. Excellent. For women empowerment. So I've got so much going on in my life. It's amazing, guys. You, this is just proving that you don't necessarily have to be one dimensional. You could, you know, you could be amazing in terms of your business. You can be amazing in terms of, um, leading where you feel, you know, you strongly want to contribute. And for you, it was the Cancer Association and contributing there and also getting to be in, you know, into the beauty industry as well. Um, in the way in which, you know, you found that you had a natural talent for it. How about you go and you tap into that intimacies? Um, South Africa and see where and how far they could take you and it's all just come around full circle and now you got this amazing product which is your brand which is absolutely fantastic thank you so much for joining us thank you and thank you for all your great gems of inspiration knowledge and education as well we really appreciate it thank you so much and never give up Great, you heard it from the lady herself That is it, ladies and gentlemen It's the shortest hour of the week Every single time, just like that And we wrap up right now In that particular way You can catch us again every single Thursday Live on cliffcentral.com Other than that, of course, you can always get the podcast And just rewind, fast forward And you can rewind back to some of the great things Candace has said It's Candace, ladies and gentlemen She's the one, she's the only And she's the lady with all the power Awesome stuff, awesome stuff. Three, two, one, and we out of here. This is cliffcentral.com.